Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Love the 80s? Then you'll love Virgin Radio 80s Plus. Love Chris Evans. Love the 80s. Over on Virgin Radio. 80s Plus. Right now, Vassas, don't get ahead of uh, above your station or above your mm-hmm. International Space Station. I'm going to give you a countdown because I think it's appropriate for your intro. Okay? Lovely. Thank you. But it's more about our guest than you. Um, Just to get into perspective. Not how I'm hearing it. Five, <laughs> four, three, two, one. Our next guest will take us from astronaut to 60 and to infinity and beyond. He's the real-life rocket man, giving a whole new meaning to hitting the space bar with a new book, Space, the Human Story, out this week. So from car fest to space station to studio, I think it's fair to say we're reaching peak Tim Peake. Good morning, Tim. <laughs> Good morning, Chris. This book morning, is Vassal. brilliant, mate. Oh, thank you Seriously, very much. Seriously, it's so interesting. It's, it's a family book. We get a few of these. They're once in a blue moon. Um, but uh, it's, you're just going to have this book in your house for your family. Space, this human story. Let's cut to the chase if you don't mind, Tim. Great to yeah. see you again. Likewise, yeah. As always. Um, so Bonfire Night is approaching. We are taught never to return to a lit firework. <laughs> NASA are taught the same when it, it comes to a lit rocket. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, but I think, you know, you've got to have the, the sense of when to return to it and when not to return to it. And there's been some times over the years when, you know, the crews have had to make a, a close call as to... Give, give, us, give us a bit more flavour of that. Well, I mean, when, when a, a rocket goes off, um, you know, you, you need to, to, to not return to it. But then uh, there was... A crew sat on the rocket, you know, and when they were going for the Gemini missions, and had it launched, had it not launched, these early mistakes, and sometimes that decision of whether you abort or you don't abort can be mean the de- meaning the difference between life and death. Yeah. And um, how astronauts used to get the job compared to how you got the job. So we talk, I know you've been listening this morning. Thanks for listening. Um, 8,000 applicants uh, applied for the same seats as you eventually got on, on um, your space trip. But um, obviously many didn't. Was it always like that? How has it changed? How did people used to get jobs as astronauts? How do they get jobs now? Well, I think that was one of the inspirations for the book because I used to love reading The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe. And it was all about those early days of, of the Mercury 7 and the Russian cosmonauts being selected in that space race and right now four of my friends are in training to go and sit on top of uh, SLS on the Artemis 2 next year yeah, going yeah. back to the moon and I thought it would be great to just write this human story of, of that early phase to now and, and how that selection process has changed and how some of it stayed the same yeah. I mean the medical is is alarmingly very similar today <laughs> than it was those all those years ago with lots of prodding and poking but the psychological <laughs> aspects has changed a little bit because you know it's a little bit of different psychology towards these long duration missions we're yeah, doing yeah. now you talk a lot about soft skills um mm. you know which i think you know it's an unfortunate phrase because it suggests they're not as important so so there what so there are soft skills and there are more traditional skills what are the soft skills why are they important and and what what have you from what you've learned about taking those into space can we learn 
here on planet earth yeah well the soft skills are so important for long duration missions i mean in the the mercury era really every mission was a test flight and it was all about getting to space and getting back from space but now on a six-month mission maybe a year-long mission to the space station the getting there and back is a very tiny part of the mission the rest of the time you're working as a crew you need to be able to get on with other people and also to communicate well with ground and scientists and and you're not just working with test pilots there are people we've got engineers we've got medical doctors school teachers people people from different backgrounds who are astronauts today. So those soft skills are so important. So you're taught, you're coaching how to get on with other people. Absolutely, yeah. What, what did what did they teach you? What have you learned? What have you brought back to, to school run, for example? <laughs> well, there's a lot of co- sort of conflict management and, and how to talk to people, how to address your concerns and recognise yourself. Actually, that's the first step, I think. When we go and live for seven days down a cave, for example, and you're cold and you're wet and you're tired and you're hungry. And, and the first thing is, well, how do you feel? And, and when are you getting stressed? And how does your behaviour change when you get stressed? Mm. And how do you relate to other people? And then when you can rise above that and you can kind of put your own discomfort to one side you can start helping other people and recognizing i would imagine is is half the battle recognizing your your own situation and getting away from your chimp if you like your inner chimp yeah were you like that anyway (laughs) is that one of the reasons you were chosen because of your character I think partly, yes, and also low risk. You know, the space agencies want uh, people who can cope in those situations, who have done that kind of thing before. They've built up certain levels of resilience. So you've got to be able to go for these interviews and show that you've, you know, you've done something in your life where you've pushed yourself out of your comfort zone. And you're now in charge of the interviews, aren't you? I was last year. We, I was part of that selection board as we were recruiting new European Space Agency astronauts. So it was, it was quite fun being on the other side of the table. And could you tell straight off the bat, was it quite immediate how somebody was or, or wasn't? No, I, I, that's what I like. We had an hour with each candidate when we're interviewing them. And sometimes, you know, you read all the reports beforehand and, and so you get a uh, paints a picture of what they're like. But it was interesting to see how some some characters really kind of blossomed and, and shone during the interview and came to life. And, and others who you might have thought were going to be really strong candidates just weren't able to kind of, you know, sell themselves. I didn't know about the... I mean, I do now because before the interview, prepping for it, I didn't know really about the going down to the caves. I didn't really know about the being submerged in water for how many hours? Uh, well, we spent 12 days living underwater. 12 days habitat, yeah. underwater. And this is all to see if you can cope with being in a confined space and, you know, yeah. ha- having not panicking about something that you didn't need to, but you could if you thought about it, if you thought yourself into it <laughs> too much. Yes, yeah. And we were running, uh, we were simulating an asteroid mission for that 12 days and we were diving twice a day from our underwater habitat down to the ocean floor. And uh, it was so it was hugely exciting from a technical point of view and, and kind of running this simulated mission. But also it was about that living together with people in difficult circumstances. It's all it's all so amazing, isn't it? It's, um, you, t- you used the term cosmonaut there. You talk mm. about the uh, origination of the, of the word astronaut. That's how you start the book off. Yeah, that's right. And, and at one point, NASA was seriously considering cosmonaut. It sounded like a better word. You it's know, cool. A, cosmonaut a, is cool. Sailors <laughs> through space. I mean, astronaut sounded a little bit too grand. Yeah. Um, there was some disagreement with NASA. You know, we're not really sailing to another star. That's four and a half light years away. Yeah. Um, but it was decided, at, you know, NASA went with astronaut and Russia went with cosmonaut. It's funny, isn't it? Because as a kid, I just thought cosmonaut because it was communist. I just thought it sounded a bit yeah. similar. Yeah. I, and I thought, obviously, cosmos is, you know, order and it is the universe, isn't it? That's the difference there. Yeah. 
Um, you talked about um, uh, test flights, you talked about Gemini. Um, you're fascinated with the bickering aspect of this. Aren't you? Is that because of you and I? Is that because of maybe our that is, yeah. Maybe it's like the sort of um, trauma. So Bance is all right. <laughs> Bickering's not great. But what the, happens when Bance turns into bickering where? Well, so this was Apollo 13, wasn't it? And, and, they, were, and they were just, they weren't happy with it. One of them got ill and then they were just complaining about everything. Well, Apollo 13, uh, yeah, one of them got the other that that was the kind of remarkable mission where they came back from all of those failures. Um, but Apollo 7, there was there was bickering. And Skylab 3, where there was, I um, mean, it was reported as a space mutiny. You know, they all started to grow beards and went on strike for a day. It wasn't actually as bad as that. Uh, there was some misreporting going on. But there were definitely, there was huge amount of friction between crew and mission control. And it was just strange how some crews seemed to gel and work really well. And, and some crews struggled a bit more, especially coming from the same selection process. So one bloke said to the other bloke, um, I've just been sick. And, <laughs> and and the other bloke said, just like, just get rid of it. Just don't tell anyone. But unfortunately, their mics were on. So everybody yeah. heard. So everyone at NASA. So that was the first that was the first Houston sort of telling off Houston to 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 whatever telling off and then and then it just sort of got worse from there they said well how yeah. come you get weekends off why don't we get weekends off well you're in space yeah, yeah. but still <laughs> yes and they were they were going they were coming on the back of a crew that had been particularly good and you know you just get some crews that put in huge performance i remember when peggy whitson was commanding the space station expedition 50 and they were you know knocking out the science on a weekly basis and we were thinking how are we going to compete with this you know they're doing 120 hours of experiments every week and and that was the same for skylab 2 they were knocking it out the park and so skylab 3 came along and were expected to be at the same level and they just they just couldn't keep up with that oh my goodness it's like one liverpool team from one season to the next but it's very similar isn't yeah. it you know it when is. you talked about gelling about teams gelling about people gelling about chemistry because because we, we often say in show business so oh, we're going to cast a show you know whether it's on the on, a, on stage on the west end or it's on tv or on the radio oh these two have got really good chemistry well you can drop the word good because mm. it's just about whether they've got chemistry or not yeah because chemistry is just it's usually good anyway isn't it i suppose yeah can you pre-orchestrate that? Have you learned to do that at NASA? Um, with a crew composition, yes, they, they do. They consider who's going up and the kind of skill sets and who's going to gel and get on. And um, but, but we do, you know, we have to just get along with whoever we're up there with. They, they can't try and do that every time. You've got seven people on board the space station from dif different nations around the world. So there will sometimes be personality clashes, but nothing too dramatic. I mean, obviously, you train for six years. Most, um, well, not not most, but a lot of astronauts, cosmonauts train for four years. It, it can take people different times. How how much time do you have? Are you on the list? Which you found <laughs> you weren't, maybe weren't on the list. T tell us about the photocopier moment from your from the horse's mouth. Yeah. So when we selected, there were six of us. There were only five missions. We knew there were two Italian missions right up front, and Germany were the, paid the most money into the program. So that we, we knew that there was Andy, Toma, and myself were the three who were the later ones to fly and only two missions. And the UK at the time didn't pay any money into the human spaceflight program. We were part of ESA, but not human spaceflight. So I knew I was going to get 
this reserve astronaut status. Um, but I went to the photocopier one morning and uh, somebody had very carelessly left a, a letter there that really detailed exactly my role and my likelihood and the chances of me flying to space were extremely <laughs> slim. So Tim Peake is going to be the reserve astronaut. Yeah. Peake the... by name, not by nature. <laughs> the ballad of the unflown astronaut. Yeah, as it's I the unflown refer, astronaut, isn't it? Refer to it in the book. Yeah, it's um, amazing. The it's... unflown astronaut. You don't want to be on the unflown list. But to be on the list at all, I suppose. Is, um, but then the expectations are there and the intentions there. But you were on the bench. You were on the bench in yeah, the squad. That's right. Uh, but then you know things change, and and, uh, and that got turned around, and um, we generated more missions, and and I ended up flying ahead of my French uh, and Danish colleagues. So, yeah. yeah, blimey. And is it true that a couple of mates actually nudged you towards applying for the job in the first place? It was, yeah. In fact, my wife and an old an Army Air Corps mate of mine saw the advert before I did and just said, hey, Tim, you've got to go for this. So it wasn't really on your radar, was it? No, no. (laughs) Strangely, I was working actually um, kind of with the space industry a little bit because I was test pilot for the Apache helicopter and some of the technologies we were using were coming from the space industry. But I hadn't actually seen that selection process until my mate nudged me and I thought, yeah, yeah, I've got to go for it. Um, what did you learn from other people? I in the book, but just for people because they've not bought the book yet. Uh, what did you learn from, from, give us some names and what you learned from their experiences or what you thought you might benefit from their experiences once you were in space yourself? Uh, a, a hero of mine who I wish I'd met, I never did, was Pete Conrad, such a colourful person, a very professional a- astronaut, but somebody who was able to be at the top of their game and also have a wicked sense of humour. And everybody who worked with him just said he was absolute delight. And one of those things that just made, it greased the wheels, it made the missions run more smoothly, it just made life more fun. And I thought, if I can do that, if I can try and be as professional as possible, but also come to things with yeah. a bit of a sense of humour. Wear it lightly. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the thing, isn't it? Wear it lightly. Take it really serious. Don't take yourself serious in the middle of it unless you absolutely have to. But when is that ever, I suppose? <laughs> um, tell us about the Yuri Gagarin Memorial Wii. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, the the Russians are very superstitious, and and Yuri was there twelfth of April, nineteen sixty one. He's on his way to the launch pad, and and quite naturally, it's a nerve wracking moment. You know, you're going to be the <laughs> first, way. the first human launched into space, and uh, and decided to have a, a wee stop halfway to the launch pad, and jumped off the bus and weed on the back right tire, and because that was part of the launch day, it subsequently became the part of the launch day for every astronaut who's ever flown from Baikonur. So we still to this day pee on the back right tire of the bus on the way to the launch pad. And that's the, whether you want to go or not. But yeah. I suppose everyone wants to go in the end, don't they? Yeah, well, the female astronauts, they could take a, a container, a pre, pre-prepared a container, if, yeah. if they want to th- throw that on the wheel NASA too. NASA so, NASA um, branded. You can buy them online, it's, everyone. It's a free-for-all. Anyone can do it. Oh, wow. It's so cool. I didn't realise about the, the calorie the calorie intake because there's, there's barely anything of you anyway. We'll get into that in a moment or two. I mean, you're fit as a fiddle. It's not that you, you know, you know, shrinking, um, uh, wilting, willowy nothing. You, you are, you know, you, the, you're, you're, as, uh, you're as hard as granite. When, when you post a photograph with Tim, it's, you think, what, what, is that a human or is that something else? Um, but there's not much of you. There's nothing spare, that's for sure. I'm cheap, 70 kilograms, yeah. 70 kilograms. payload to get to space. You are now, but you went under 64, 65, didn't you? You? I did, yeah. First five weeks in space, lost a lot of weight, mm. um, and I was, I was, I thought I was eating properly. But you feel full up very quickly. You know, you eat a meal, and without gravity, it just sits there at the top of your stomach, and so you don't feel like eating a huge amount more. And uh, when I had my first nutritional assessment, they said that you know, you're just not taking on enough calories, so you kind of have to force yourself to eat the right quantity of food. And, and so, so 
you had to eat more than you were already uncomfortable eating and some. Yes, yeah. And snacking, I found that's what I did because I didn't like eating big meals. So I would just snack a lot throughout the day. But we know that if you snack on nutritionless stuff like mm. chocolate, I mean, you're getting the sugar, but it's all useless and you don't feel full because of it. That's the problem, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Bacon sandwiches in the space, right? <laughs> you used to treat yourself to a bacon sarnie, is that right? How many I, did you take with you? I had a few. Uh, about 10% of our food is bonus food, as they call it. And you can have some fun with your Naughty bonus draw. food. Naughty draw. yeah. Yeah, stuff <laughs> off the shelf. And um, In Europe, the space agency, they like to have um, a bit of cultural flavour to your food so um, if you're Italian you get your, uh, an Italian chef to cook the dishes French chefs for the French astronauts so uh, I had Heston Blumenthal who cooked oh. some dishes for me we had it as part of a kids competition and one of those was a, a bacon sandwich I had a good old sausage sizzle there as well And How uh, was it in space the bacon sarni? It, it looked disgusting I have to say but right. it tasted delicious Did it honestly? Uh, and the smell and that's the biggest thing because you know you know, that warm bacon smell So and, you, you literally get the, the calf the greasy spoon yeah, 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 yeah. In the International yeah. Space Station. Yeah. And how did the other astronauts feel about that? Were they down with it or not? <laughs> no, they, they were completely in, in envy. Were uh, they? And yeah, and, and the that was the first meal I had, actually. I got on board and Scott Kelly, my commander, he'd been up there for eight months by that time. And he fished out this bacon sarni tin and, and he heated up. So I'd just arrived on the space station. I'd had a lovely meal only sort of 10 hours, 12 hours ago. And uh, he opened up this can and he just started salivating. And I was like, I said, Scott, you need this more than I do. <laughs> So, oh so I shared my first bacon sarni with with the crew. And because there's no gravity in the space and on the space station, the spacewalks and all this kind of stuff, which is all fast. It's all in the book. Not only Tim's experience, but lots of other astronaut and cosmos, cosmonauts' experience. Um, you have to replace gravity with the fans, don't you? Yes. So what, how do the fans make up for gravity in certain situations? In terms of the airflow, yes. So if you didn't have that, you'd have a pocket of carbon dioxide would just build up around your head with right. all the CO2. So you could actually out. suffocate. You could suffocate. Even though that. the rest of the space station would be fine. Yeah. It just yeah. stays where it... That's so bizarre, yeah, isn't it? it is. There's no convection. So oh. there's no... Um, you know, hot air is not rising. Cold air is not sinking. So you need those fans to keep stirring the air. Right. And also keeping it clean and smelling fresh as well. And that's what really scrubs all the carbon dioxide. We get fresh oxygen pumped in and uh, it keeps everything, you know, running smoothly. I know you've been listening to the show. We've been talking about your night shift. So a night shift, a full night shift on the space station is 45 <laughs> minutes because yeah we go around the planet once every 90 minutes so it's half it's dark half of it's light that is and you you were early for your your spacewalk so you arrived at the solar panel 10 yeah. minutes early yes yeah um, so we it's, wanted... not like, it's not like a london commute then is it <laughs> you never go anywhere early we were uh, tim copra and myself we were a bit nervous about getting out there on time because we had a really tricky job to do it had to be done in darkness yeah so we've only got you know 35 40 minutes by the time we get ourselves set up there to do it and um it was live electricity so you know you, you can't get it wrong you've got to you've got to do it in That's darkness because the sun is literally because the sun the is, is hitting these solar panels and we are operating with high voltage so um the dark dark side of the the earth that was our chance to get this thing fixed so we got out there in good time um before the sun went down and, and nasa houston just said you know you're early hang out for 10 minutes so what did you do <laughs> so we clipped you on, took up photography didn't you pushed off and floated there in the darkness of space with a camera and started taking photos <laughs> Wow. Can I ask you about the photo on the front cover of yeah. the book? So what, who, how? 
Yes, Bruce McCandless, um, so 1984, out the back of the Challenger shuttle. An amazing flight. Um, when you see that photograph, it looks like it's photoshopped. It's this, you know, a human, you can't really make out the face, just floating in the blackness of space above planet Earth. Such an iconic shot. And that was the first untethered spacewalk. So, you know, to go outside on a spacewalk anyway is taking a large risk. And, and you know, you feel a bit remote and isolated. And But to go, to go floating off... You feel a bit remote and isolated. What? I I feel like that when I go to Sheen. But Bruce, there. I mean, I, I, from a from a test pilot perspective, he is just you know that that takes so much courage. That to is do the what he test did. flight of all test flights. That is the test flight of all there's test flights. There's nothing comes close to that. Yeah, unbelievable. It is the best. Probably, well, there's a couple of other images that that I could conjure up. Nothing to do with space. I think, yeah, mm. I, you'd have those on your wall. We should all yeah. have this picture on our yeah. wall. Oh my goodness me! Um, so 628 people have been there and done it. More on the way. Hopefully, as safe as possible. Um, uh, but there is PTSD and you said you, you struggled a lot more once you'd come back to Earth than you did at all beforehand or whilst in space not specifically particularly domestically with your wife and, and your closer circle but generally with the world mm. just talk about that if you don't and what you learned from other people in the book after with similar experiences yes I think you know we're so busy when we first get back and, and after that six months of, of post-flight all the science is done the debriefs are done uh, physically actually we're, we're back in shape again we go through rehabilitation and build our muscles back up um but i remember that first christmas after landing and and that's when i kind of just crashed a bit Uh, and you know i got sick and and you then have time to process or try and process what you've done and and also then looking to the future i think okay well how do you try and do something now having experienced that and and how do you kind of go on and and find new challenges and new goals and there's definitely a period there where you have to you know search yourself and, and refocus on objectives and this is something that you see in astronauts throughout the the ages. I mean, many of the Apollo uh, crews suffered from this as well and and found it very hard. And also found it very hard being asked all the time, what was it like? Uh, And um, how do you explain to somebody all those years of training, launching on a Saturn V, flying to the moon, landing, walking around, driving a rover, coming back home, and somebody says, so what was it like? Uh, And uh, Pete Conrad, he he came up with the phrase, you know, super, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Uh, because that was his way, his humorous way of just trying to cope, trying to just say, well, I can't put it into words. I can't describe it. So let's have some fun with it. Yeah. And also it, it is, um, you know, systematically, incrementally um, uh, heavy being your if your present seems to be always about your past, mm. because they're always, you know, in the present, in your life now people are always asking about something that's already happened it's like being in the Beatles I would imagine yeah. <laughs> not dissimilar you know it's yeah. like it's you know we all say how can Paul McCartney have, you know why wouldn't he want to talk about being in the Beatles well because he was in the Beatles because you've been in space yeah. and it's great being in the Beatles and it's great being in space but I have to live the rest of my life now yes yeah and I think for, for me still being part of the program doing the education outreach you know helping the uk space agency looking at uk launches we've got coming up next year um spacecraft design spacesuit design all that kind of thing it's that's what really helps me i feel like i'm still contributing to the space program in that way and who knows maybe there'll be a chance of another another mission i know never say never never say never never it's funny because there's a couple of people here um you know 
along with myself, we've been through life-threatening situations recently. And we all had a moment a couple of weeks ago after the show, the three of us, we got together, you know, and we all had a little chat, a little download uh, about the fact that we had trouble feeling grateful. Not that we were ungrateful, but we just didn't feel grateful enough for the second chance we'd been given. And we weren't... because Something had happened where we'd we'd, uh, paused how we really felt about the situation when we were going through it, you know. Mm. And the thing is, if you don't think about it, you're all right. And then if you dive into it and go all the way into it, you're probably going to be all right. It's if you get caught in the middle. Yes, yeah. And I think, you know, turning to people and talking to people and having that support network is what really helps there. You've just got to, you know, be open and honest. And I, I think we have now, we have a really good support network in, in the space industry. We're all friends and when we have psychological support and all the rest of it. So you can talk to people yeah. and you can share these experiences. Um, but it wasn't always the case, uh, you know, coming back to the Mercury astronauts, you know, that was a very macho alpha male environment. It was only men selected fast jet test pilots um, and they... They didn't really talk about their problems or what they'd been through and their shared experiences. And then you feel guilty because surely you should be grateful for the rest of your life because you got to do that or you got to get well or Mm. and you go, but I don't feel like that, but I know I should. And then there's the conflict and there's the post-traumatic stress syndrome, isn't it? Because you can't. If you have while you're having the trauma or you're having the experience, it's not stressful. It's the P that counts. It's the post, isn't it? It's the P word. Absolutely. And it affects so many people differently as well. Um, Some people can shrug it off. Other people will really struggle. And I I think it is that case of you don't know when it's going to actually manifest itself or how it might manifest itself. And it creeps up on you sometimes. Mm. Um, I love the the title of the chapters. They're great. They're all it's all about getting, (laughs) isn't it? So getting the job, getting ready. Getting to Moscow, getting a mission. Sorry, I'm not going to class on. Getting to Moscow, getting a mission, uh, getting off the ground, getting the job done, getting out. Yes, uh, yeah. awesome, awesome. Yeah. Um, as of all the people that you've met who've done this, that you've done, uh, don't pick a favourite because I'm, you know, I love all my children. I'm sure you love all your fellow astronauts and cosmonauts. <laughs> who, who's the most interesting? Is it Pete? You know, is it is it the the enigma? that was Neil Armstrong is is it Helen your fellow astronaut here in the UK or or who uh, so so many different astronauts for so many different reasons. I mean, Pete, yes, because he had colourful humour and, and I think he was just a fantastic character. Charlie Duke, I've had the pleasure of meeting um, several times and just a wonderful character. Again, lovely, lovely man. Um, and uh, yes, I mean, Peggy Whitson, incredible work ethic. What an inspirational woman. Um, I, I wish I had a kind of drive and uh, ability to just take on work. Um, so so many different people. Neil Armstrong from a test pilot perspective as well what he did his flying skills i mean on, on gemini 8 when um uh, when they docked with the agena and then as they undocked the spacecraft went into this uncontrollable rotation i don't think there are many astronauts or test pilots who could have saved that capsule and saved that mission he, he's quite extraordinary in his he was flying a hell of capabilities a focused human being wasn't yeah, he yeah amazing um, Wow, 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 wow. Tim Peake, uh, Space to Human Story. There is also an event around the corner from here. 
at Southwark Cathedral happening? That's right, yes, Thursday night. So we're having the book launch. Um, I'm being interviewed by the lovely Kate Humble, so I'm really looking forward to that. Brilliant. Yeah, Southwark Cathedral on so Thursday. So people can still come to that, get tickets for that? Yeah, I think there are a few tickets left still. Okay, and if you come early, you can go around Borough Market, get some amazing produce, get healthier, come and see us here, get, get a whiff of Virgin Radio. We're literally 200 yards away, and Southwark Cathedral is beautiful. <laughs> are, are you having it at Southwark Cathedral because it's got a spire shape like a rocket pointing towards the moon? <laughs> yeah, and they've got, they've got the lovely... Uh, moon there as well so dangling there from the cathedral I believe so I yeah, can't yeah. wait to see that yeah Tim great to see you anything you'd like to say to the audience before you go oh just I mean I've had so much fun writing this book it, it's just a warm story about humans about what we've done how we've done it ordinary people doing extraordinary yeah. jobs and you found this more comfortable than writing about yourself didn't you I did yeah I had more fun <laughs> with it because it's it's not you know personal and so I mean I've obviously interjected my own story yeah, no, you where can I can add to it a load of you comes across and I'm so yeah. glad because we get the real Tim Pete. Yeah. it's so cool man <laughs> your take on things uh, have I said anything else just the fact that there's going to be some people sort of this time next year, you were saying, back on yes. the moon. Well, heading uh, around the moon and then the year after that will be on the surface of the moon. So Artemis 2 is going to be a bit like Apollo 8 um, orbiting the moon and then Artemis 3 boots back on the moon again. I have one quick question. How do you get weighed when you're in space? Like, oh, how that's do they a weigh brilliant you? question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well done. Best um, question. <laughs> We kind of call it riding the donkey. Uh, okay. There's this oh, device. Should I have asked? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a bit weird. There's this device. <laughs> yeah, we'd be on the watershed here. No. Um, no, no. <laughs> you kind of have to wrap yourself around it. It's like a metal pole with a spring, and you wrap your body around this metal pole, press a button that releases the spring, and then we bounce up and down oh, wow. on top of this thing, and it, it goes to you know Hooke's law and the oscillations I'm of a spring and a mass. done up there with all this fun. <laughs> Weighing yourself. Weighing yourself, that's what they call it. <laughs> yeah, so depending on how many uh, oscillations we make in a certain amount of time, you can work out what the mass is at the end of this stick. Oh so goodness. it's just physics. Very quickly, I, I have trouble sleeping, always have done. I know you had trouble sleeping when you first went to space. Any tips? <laughs> Uh, well, for me, it was don't look out. Uh, don't get that influx of, of light. Uh, I did that once. Big ultraviolet light, taking photos of the yeah. Bahamas just before going to bed. Didn't sleep they all night. They change that, haven't they, because they have the red and blue light. Yeah, so we shift the light. We go red shifted towards night, and it really helps. Just that circadian rhythm getting into the same. Tim, you're the best, man. Great talk Great to you, Chris. Thank you Great very much. Great to see you. Tim Peake, what a book. Seriously, what a book. Tim Peake, Space, the Human Story. Round of applause. Yeah, Tim Peake. Control much. room round of applause. <laughs> Thank you very much. This doesn't happen very often. Here we go. <laughs> yeah! The Graham Norton Radio Show. How exciting is this? With Waitrose. Over on Virgin Radio. Up and Adam, come on, things to do. Don't cheer. You'll just embarrass yourselves. We're not bored of it yet, so it's lovely. There's no stopping them. No stopping them. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Oh, there's nothing nicer, is there? Nothing nicer. With Waitrose. Food to feel good about. I mean, what's not to like? Saturday and Sunday from 9.30. Over on Virgin Radio.